You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Luke 14, we're going to start in verse 12, we'll read down through verse 24. Luke 14, starting in verse 12. Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these sayings, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another one said, I married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. (laughs) Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there's still room. And the master said to his servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray together one more time. Father, thank you so much for every man, woman, and child who is in this building today. I do not believe that anybody is here by accident, but that you have, Holy Spirit, you've you've woken us up and you've directed us here through a series of events. And now... None of us are here just to to hear from a 35-year-old on life. We want to hear from you. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will take your word, which is active and living and just as powerful as if you were standing here speaking it yourself in person. And I pray that you'll take it and you will drive it into our hearts, that you will open our eyes to see you as you really are and who we really are in light of who Christ is and, and what he's done for us. And as a result of that, it will set our hearts on fire for you, and for those in our city that we can take the good news of the gospel to. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. What is the best party you have ever attended? Fellowship birthday party. Thank you for that, Alicia. I honestly was not expecting a verbal response, and I'm glad that I'm glad, I'm glad it was one that actually makes me feel better about our church. So by party, just so you know, by the way, I am not talking about a sinful party where you forgot where you parked um, or you woke up the next morning with a lot of regret. But, but what is the best, besides Fellowship Virgo Birthday Party, what is the best God-honoring, joy-filled party you've been to? Was it a birthday party? Was it a wedding? Was it an anniversary celebration? What was it? Uh, for me, I think the best party I've ever been to was actually two weeks ago, right here in this building. 
It was for John Greenway, who's a part of our church, him and his wife, for his 60th birthday party, and it was epic. It literally had all the ingredients of what you'd expect from a good party. For example, uh, the first thing it had was it had a lot of people here. Um, people, some of them I, I knew, some of them I did not know, some of them that I knew but hadn't talked to in years. And it was great because my wife and I had a babysitter for three hours, and therefore I didn't feel rushed in any way. And I was able to mingle in and talk and laugh and share stories and catch up with different people. So I had a lot of people at this party. Another thing that it had is a, a, a must, I think, for any good party, which was really good music. And so John had brought in a band from Bill Street that had been the house band at Bill Street for 23 years. And so they came and played, and they actually are worship leaders at a church in Memphis. So like for the first hour, it was just a worship set. And then after that, I mean, they rocked it out at like, I mean, had our speakers like full volume, and they were playing like the best hits, like all the songs you'd want to sing at a party. And then finally, it had the one thing that every good party has, and that is good food and good drink. If you would have looked at my plate, I mean, I'm walking around. I had I had a plate piled high with Memphis barbecue. I mean, they had all these sausages and cheeses and and fruit trays and pickles. I mean, the, the whole thing it was absolutely incredible. And my wife and I, after we left that party, uh, after being there for a few hours, we left honestly just so full, and we were so energized. It's such a life giving party, and so much so that we've been talking about it even two weeks later. And as I begin to think about that. And a lot of the text today, I found my heart throughout the week filled with so much joy because as I think about that party, the party that had all the food and all the drinks and all the music and all the laughing and all the fun and all the fellowship, I began to think about the reality that according to scripture, that is just a taste of what heaven is going to be like. Did you know that? Hey, it's an important thing for us to remember today because for some of you, when you think of heaven, you think of heaven as nothing more than just this long, boring church service. Or even worse, you think of kind of that Sunday school flannel board cartoonish version of heaven where your reward for giving your whole life to Jesus is basically floating around with a bunch of chubby babies on fluffy clouds just plucking harps. And the problem with this view of heaven is not only that it's not fun, but it's also not biblical. Uh, for example, in Matthew 22, 2, Jesus says the kingdom of God will be like a wedding feast. Where according to Isaiah in Isaiah 25, 6, it will consist of the finest foods and drinks prepared by God himself. Think about that. A party where God is preparing the food and drink. I think of the picture of heaven that Jesus paints for us in Luke 15. That he says we'll have music and dancing. And then of course, I think of passages like we come to today in Luke 14. Where again, Jesus says heaven is going to be like a banquet. Like a feast. Or in modern language, like a party. And if you look back with me in verse 12, just to kind of set the context for you, Jesus has been invited to a meal, which we talk about a lot of times in the Gospels. Jesus is either going to a meal, coming from a meal, or eating a meal. Jesus realizes food is very sacred. And so he's eating a meal with some religious leaders who had invited Jesus to their house. And, and, and their motives are not pure in this, by the way. These religious men do not like Jesus, they're jealous of Jesus, and they're inviting him into their house so they can try to catch him in a sin, and as a result, discredit his ministry. And so Jesus, he knows this, but decides in verse 12 through 24 to paint a picture for these men of what heaven is really like, and therefore what Jesus is really like. And he says to them in verse 12, 
Jesus said to the man who had invited him to the meal, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But he says instead, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Notice for Jesus, he says, when you throw a party, if you want it to look like my kingdom party, if you want it to look like heaven, be sure that your guest list, he says here, consists not simply of those who can benefit you or pay you back, but make sure it's filled with people who cannot pay you back. Jesus says, literally, if you look back, when you throw a party, invite the poor. Now, Jesus here, he's not simply talking about the financially poor But in this context, he's talking about those who were socially poor. Sure, he's talking about those without resources, but he's talking about actually those who, who even more than that, are without friends. People without a network. People who are living in isolation. He's talking about the social outcast of the day. The people who in the first century were considered so vile and disgusting that they were not even able to be fully engaged in worship with God's people. They couldn't even have been invited into something like what we are doing right now because they were considered to be cursed by God. And what I love about Jesus is he says, actually, you know the people who you think are cursed by God? The reality is they're loved by God. And because God loves them, he says, when you throw a party, if you want it to be a party like the one in heaven, invite the poor, invite the lame, invite the crippled, invite the blind. Then notice in verse 14, what does he say next? He says, when you do this, you will, as a result, be repaid at the resurrection. Now, I personally do not get that excited about earthly investments. I do set aside money for retirement every month. But there's a lot of times where I look and I'm like, man, by the time I pull that out, I'm going to be old. I'm not going to enjoy it anyway. So I don't get that pumped about it. But what I do get excited about are heavenly investments. I get excited about verses like this when I come across it in scripture where Jesus says, hey, I know something you can do that will actually reap a benefit for you for eternity to come. Something that won't be taken away or just left for your kids, but something that literally you yourself will be able to enjoy for all eternity. And notice, according to this passage, one of the things Jesus says that we can do if we want to be paid back for all eternity in heaven is he says that you can right now begin to care well for the last, the least, and the lost of society. It's a big deal to God. And the reason God, the reason Jesus is so passionate about this is, listen, what he wants you to understand is when you love, when you when you love and you serve and you bless the poor, the refugee or the one who can do nothing for you, the reason God loves us so much is because it is a picture of what God has done for you and me in Jesus Christ. In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, he stands up and in his opening line, In chapter 5, verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That is a scandalous verse. Because what Jesus just did is he sat in front of a group like this, and he looks out at the person who says, You know what? I think I'm a pretty good person, and therefore, because I'm a good person, I'm going to make it to heaven on my goodness. And he looks at that person and says, Actually, you're going to go to hell. While also looking at the sinners... And the whores and the porn addicts and the druggies and the hypocrites and those who are considered by society to be the failures and the idiots and weaklings. And he says, you're the ones I'm going to build my kingdom with. That's what he just said. That's why in Mark 2.17, Jesus said, I did not come for those who were well. 
I came for those who know they're sick and need a physician. If you are here today and you feel like you have your life together and you pretty much are on it, Jesus has nothing to say to you. But if you are here today and you can say, man, I know that I'm sick. I know that I'm a mess. I know that I'm in need. Well, then I want you to know Jesus is very much attracted to where you are. And he wants to meet you in that place. Jesus says, I came for the crippled. I came for the lame. I came for the blind. I came for those who know they are spiritually bankrupt before me. He says, I came for you. And I want you to know right now that rather than sitting in the bondage of your shame, guilt, and fear, you can find freedom in the fact that my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus says, when you throw a party. I love that he doesn't say, if you throw a party. Jesus is a partying kind of guy. And as Christians, we should be a party people. When you throw a party, invite the poor, invite the lame, invite the crippled, invite the blind. And then look what happens next. In verse 15, one of the religious leaders, he starts picking up on the fact that Jesus is talking about heaven, about the kingdom of God. And so he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now that seems really religious. Like seems like, we oh yeah, amen, amen. But in this context, what you need to understand is what this guy is actually saying is, yeah, Jesus, your party sounds like a pretty good party. And I'm glad that because I'm religious, I'm going to be joining your party in heaven. That's what he's basically saying here. To which Jesus replies with a sobering and haunting parable that reminds us today that not everyone is going to be in the party. That yes, there are some people that when they die will go to heaven, but there are others that when they die, no matter how good they think they are, will go to hell. And here's why. Here's why. Look in verse 16. Jesus said, let me tell you a story about a man who once gave a, a banquet. And he invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Let me just stop there and say this. If everything is now ready, what does that mean you have to bring? Nothing. Nothing. Christianity is the only religion in the world that says if you want heaven, if you want Christ, you know what you bring? The empty hands of faith. The empty hands of faith. You don't have to bring anything. It's all ready. But they, all who had been invited, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excuse. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I got to go examine them. Please have me excuse. Another said, I married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, Do you notice how terrible all of these excuses are? The first guy literally just said, I bought some land and now I need to go check it out. I'm no real estate guru, but who buys land without looking at it first? I mean, this guy's clearly making an excuse. He's like, I got more important things to do. The next guy's excuse is no better. He says, I've bought five yoke of oxen, which in an agrarian society, that's like saying I went and bought some tractors, right? And now I need to go check them out. Again, like who buys something without, without checking it out? He's like, I got work to do. Just more important things. And then the last guy, I mean, his excuses is the worst of all. It really is. <laughs> and it's bad for at least two reasons I would have thought of this past week. And the first one is this. This guy, rather than thinking about this, rather than taking his newlywed wife on a date where she can get dressed up, And go to a rich man's party where she can eat a fancy dinner and enjoy some great entertainment. He makes a decision for her that they're just going to stay home that night. Probably eat like a $5 Little Caesars pizza and watch Netflix. (laughs) That's just a terrible idea. This guy is not off to a good start. And then secondly, 
I mean, he just got married and he's already blaming his wife for why he can't have fun in life. <laughs> already blaming her. And so this guy, like, like the other two men, I mean, he has really bad excuses. And then notice what happens next. In verse 21, the servant came and he reported these things to his master about all the excuses these people had made. And the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded I have done and still there is room. So this spread is so big. Uh, the space is so big. There's still room. And look at this, verse 23. He said, then go out to the highways and the hedges. Don't just go to the street people, he says. Don't just go to those living in the city. I want you to go to the criminals. I want you to go to those with bad resumes. I want you to go to the lepers. I want you to go to the homeless. I want you to go to the people who sleep underneath the shrubs. I want you to go, he says, literally to the people that many of us in here would never think about bringing into our home. And then look at this in verse 23. And he says, and I want you to compel them. Or the word that can be used there is, I want you to persuade these people to come in that my house may be filled. Now, let me ask you a question. I've been thinking about this all week. Why in the world would you have to compel someone who is poor to go to a rich man's party? Why would you have to persuade someone who has no friends to go to a place where they can build friendships with people who actually can really benefit them? Why would you have to do it? Why would you have to compel someone who has no food to go eat the best food they could ever have? And the only reason I can come up with this is the reason that Jesus says you have to compel the poor to go to the party is because the poor are those who have been overlooked. They have been pushed aside in this context. They're those who are considered to be the least of these. And therefore, it is no wonder then they would have unbelieving and skeptical attitudes around the idea that a man like this could actually be so generous and so gracious that he would actually want to have fellowship with him. It's hard for him to believe that. You see, like the first three men in this parable, there are people who are not going to the party because they think they are too good. But then there are also a lot of people who are not going to the party because they think they are too bad. And what Jesus says in this parable is actually it's those, the ones who think they're too bad, the ones who think they are not good enough, those are the ones I want you to go and compel to come. Those are the ones that I want you to go to and say, leave behind all of your regrets. Come into my party, taste and see that I'm good, and experience the salvation and the satisfaction and the fulfillment and the freedom and the forgiveness that you are longing for. Isn't this amazing? I mean, this is our God. And the truth is today, not just has God extended this invitation to those in the parable, He has extended an invitation to the party of a lifetime to each of you. Each of you have been invited to celebrate the conquering of Satan, sin, death, and hell through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for all eternity, where you can just enjoy the overflow of God's perfections forever. Amen. Question is this morning, is have you responded to that invitation with a yes, or have you responded with a no? As I say each week, though I'm in front of a crowd, I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. The question is today, not have I received the invitation? Jesus has sent the invitation. But have you responded with yes or no? For some of you in the room today, 
Maybe you're not going to the party. If you were to die right now, you would go to hell, and it's because you think you are too good for Jesus. You have believed a fairy tale that says, as long as the good outweighs the bad, as long as I don't commit the big sins, which I've identified as what the big sins are, then I will stand before God someday and he'll say, well done, that's very impressive, come on in. For others in here, you think you're too bad for Jesus. You think you're too broken, you're too jacked up. Too many doubts, too many questions, too many fears, too many things you have to try to work out before you can come to Jesus. Maybe for others in here, and please please hear me, this is one of the scariest ones. Maybe for some of you, you're like the religious man in verse 15. And maybe at a vacation Bible school or revival or a youth camp or something one day, you raised your hand and said, I want to go to the party. But you still haven't surrendered your heart to the person who makes the party possible. So you raised your hand and said, I want Jesus to be my Savior in the next life. But you have not said, I want him to be the Lord in this life. I want a relationship with him in heaven. I don't really care about having a relationship with him now. Listen, if you don't want a relationship with Jesus now, you don't get a relationship with Jesus in heaven. But maybe that's where some of you are. And as a result, if you were to die today, you would spend an eternity in hell. And that is really bad news. But the good news is this. The Bible says if you will confess Jesus as Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. No matter who you are or what you have done. And I pray, man, I've been praying all morning. I've been praying all week through the day. would maybe be the day of salvation for some of you in here. That nobody would leave here today too good for Jesus. Are too bad for Jesus, but rather that you would come to him with the empty hands of faith and experience the salvation that you have been longing for. But for others in here, for others in here, maybe you've made the decision to follow Christ. For some of you in here, you sit here today and you claim to be followers of Jesus. And if this is where you are, I want to have a word with you that has been on my heart I think it's going to set the trajectory for the next year and hopefully beyond. If you were here this morning and you see yourself as a disciple of Christ, if you really believe that right now that if you die that you would enter into this party, then here's my challenge to you. Go and invite others to the party. Go in the words of Jesus to the highways and the hedges. Go to the men and the women and the children who have yet to receive Jesus' saving grace and extend to them an invitation into Jesus' kingdom party. Make a decision today to begin to choose to to live as a spirit-empowered missionary committed no matter the cost to helping people who are far from God be brought near. Guys, this is the reason we have been left on earth. This is the reason why rather than Jesus rapturing us into heaven, the moment we gave our lives to him, he has kept us here so that we can go out to where people are and invite them into Jesus' kingdom party. And listen, I I get it today. Um, Evangelism is almost something that's fallen to the wayside in this generation. Uh, evangelism has, in many ways, I think, lost traction in my generation for two reasons. One is because we live in a post-Christian society where you've been told your faith should be kept private, not public. And two, it's because many of us have seen evangelism done really poorly. Uh, You've heard me tell stories before. I mean, I'm I'm one of the, the reasons it's been done poorly. I used to teach a thing called evangelism explosion, it was a 13-week course. I teach it twice a year in the church I was a part of. And in order to graduate the class, uh, you would have to go to a random person's house with me. So I'm watching. Like, I'm back here, like, grading you. You would go to a random person's house. We didn't know them at night, usually while they were eating dinner. 
And you would knock on the door, and whenever they opened the door, the first thing out of your mouth was, if you were to die tonight. People look at you, they're like, okay, are you selling me life insurance? You're about to kill me? It's like, I'm confused. And I'm trying to eat with my family, right? You've interrupted that. So, but some of you, you've experienced that. Maybe I've knocked on your door before. I don't know if I am. I'm, I apologize. I'm sorry. Some of you, you've seen, maybe you've been a waiter or a waitress. And somebody gets done after you serve them and you walk over there and you're like, a hundred dollar bill tip. That's amazing. But then you pick it up and Jesus' face is on it. With the Roman road on the back. And you're thinking, man, I just really was, thought I was going to be able to pay my bills this week because I was blessed by a hundred dollar bill. But instead it's a track. Right? And it frustrates you. That's frustrating. By the way, you want to serve somebody, like give them, pay, like you want to tell them about Jesus, tell them about Jesus, but tip them well, okay? First, they want to listen to you. Um, some of you, maybe when you think of evangelism, you think of, of the angry man who's standing on the street corner yelling about the end of times. I don't know. A lot of us have seen evangelism done poorly, and as a result, I think a lot of us have just kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We've said, you know, hey, whatever's done poorly, I'm just not going to do it at all. And therefore, because that, Hannah Gronowski, who writes for Christiana Today, says the following. As we establish ourselves firmly in the 21st century, tent revivals and traveling evangelists have become things of the past, taught in history classes and portrayed in movies. Evangelism is often presented as an old-school, out-of-style idea with little value or relevance in our fast-paced urban world. The reality is that social media platforms and trendy wall plaques are inundated with quotes preaching the idea of easy evangelism. If we just live good enough lives, we can forego the conversation entirely. And people around us will almost magically come to know Jesus through our good actions and selfless character. The style of evangelism is becoming more and more prevalent in a culture constantly looking for the fast track and simple fix. But if we believe God has called us to preach the gospel to all nations and all people, we must call the next generation back to a commitment to evangelism. Put another way, if we want to impact the culture around us, please hear me, living a good life is not enough. It's not enough. At some point, fellowship, we must go from just living a good life to sharing good news. At some point, we must go from just showing people a picture of the gospel with our hands to actually telling people about the gospel with our mouths. And please hear me, I am all about showing people the picture of the gospel with our hands. You know this if you're a member of our church. Every missional community has to have a specific mission where we go and serve and seek to bless people in our community. My missional community, as many of you know, works with refugees in our city. And, and, and by God's grace, our MC has been able to furnish uh, the homes for three different Ethiopian families. We tutor their kids every single week. I am all about doing these good things. But we can feed people all day long, and if we do not give them Jesus, they will die with full bellies and empty souls. We can tutor every kid, we can buy them gifts, but apart from Jesus Christ, we will just sustain them in a different form of hopelessness. We can help pull drug addicts off the streets, we can help them overcome their addictions, we can provide for them a job and a bank account and a house and a car, but without Jesus, they will spend an eternity in hell. That is why Paul in Romans chapter 10 says the following in Romans 10 verse 13. He says, For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But he says, How will they call on him who have not believed? And how are they to believe in him if they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. Maybe some of you have heard that famous misquote from St. Francis of Assisi, which he didn't even say, but it's that quote, go into the world, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. It's a cool kind of modern quote, but it's actually really ridiculous and dumb. Because the gospel literally means the good news. To say, go and preach the good news, and if necessary, use words, is like saying, go to my living room, tell them about the daily news, and if necessary, use words. Like, what is that? Is that charades? It's like, I don't even know, like, how, how does that work? The gospel literally means good news. And guys, good news is meant to be shared with our mouths. And I know for some of you in here, you hate the idea of proselytizing because there's this myth out there that Christians are the only ones who do it, which is really ridiculous because everybody's proselytizing in the world. Everybody out there is preaching something. Everybody out there, whether it's the gospel of a new Netflix movie or the gospel of how amazing their kids are or the gospel of this new song that they heard or this new restaurant they ate at or their political party. I mean, everybody out there is trying to convince you and sell you on something. The biggest difference between us and others who are preaching something is that we actually have the best news on the planet. That's the difference. And that is why Penn Gillette, who is a member of the famous illusionist team, Penn and Taylor, and also is a world-renowned atheist, he was once asked, hey, what's your thoughts about Christians who evangelize, who proselytize? And here's what he says, or who don't do this. He says, I've always said I don't respect Christians who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. Keep in mind, again, this is coming from an atheist. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not get eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it could be socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe there's everlasting life that is possible and not tell them about it? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I would tackle you. And this, he says, talking about the gospel, is more important than that. And a lot of that, as we begin to kind of come in for a landing today, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to take a moment, and I want you to think about the names of people in your life right now who do not have a relationship with Jesus. It could be a child. It could be a parent. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be a neighbor. It could be a coworker. It could be a boss. Stop and think about someone who is in your life, who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. And if you cannot think of someone right now, my encouragement to you would be to start paying attention. Because the reality is there are people all around you who do not have a relationship with Christ. And I would encourage you to start living with more intentionality, to ask the Spirit to help you be aware of people around you who are far from Him. But think about the names of somebody. Hopefully right now you have the names of at least one or two or maybe even three people who do not have a relationship with Christ. And here's my question. I want to ask you, do you love that person enough to let them know about the love of God for them? David Platt in his book, Radical, says every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person on this side of hell. If you are a Christian, if you have received eternal life in Christ, you are now called to give to others what has been freely given to you. What God has done in you, he now wants to do through you. And because of that, in light of all that as a church, here's what we want to do.
We want to commit in 2019 to having a thousand gospel conversations with not yet Christians. As a church, we want to commit to sharing the gospel with a thousand people who are either unchurched or not currently followers of Jesus. And if that number of a thousand really overwhelms you, think about it like this. We have probably around 400 people in missional communities. A gazillion of those are kids, okay? But there's probably still like 240 of us that are adults that are in missional communities. So if I just round down to 200, if just 200 of you get on board for this, that just means we have to share the gospel with five people in 2019. Just five people per person. And by having a gospel conversation, just to be clear, what we're talking about is talking to people about Jesus. And there's a couple of different ways that you can do this. You can do this, one, by sharing your own story, by just saying, hey, here, I just want to let you know this is very important to me. This is about what, who God is and what he's done for me in Christ. Sharing your own story with somebody. Another way that you can do this is by asking questions. Chuck was doing this just past week, asking people questions about their own life and using that as a, an open door to have a conversation about the gospel. Another way that you can do this is by inviting someone to a church service like this and then them actually showing up and hearing the gospel. Okay, That counts as a gospel conversation. And then fourth, and I'd say it's probably one of my favorite ones, is preaching the gospel to yourself in front of other people. I love that because they don't feel like you're preaching at them, but they're still hearing the gospel. And so the way that works for me is, is sometimes I can look and say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really nervous about this appointment I'm about to go into because I have a hard time believing God is in control. Or I have a hard time believing that, that, that these people's opinion of me right, matters more than, than God's opinion of me. And, and, and in this moment, man, what I just need to tell myself is that, that I'm perfectly loved by God because of what Jesus has accomplished for me through his life, death, and resurrection. Just kind of say that and, and, and use it as, as that kind of way. Whatever you want to do. Right? However you want to do it, the point is a thousand gospel conversations in 2019. And if you want help in knowing how to have gospel conversations, I'd say uh, there's a few resources out there for you. Um, one resource is the book Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt. You can see I, these are three books I have in my office right now. I took a picture earlier this week. Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt. And the whole idea of this is if you're fluent in a language, you can say it without thinking about it. It just comes out naturally. And so he's saying every Christian should be fluent in the gospel. And his book kind of outlines how to do that. If you are not a reader, uh, we have taken that book and put that in about a 10-page document. So you can get that off your app, the Fellowship Paragold app, the Gospel Fluency document. That'll help you. Um, if you are worried about people asking you questions like, hey, how do you know there's just one true religion? Or how do you know the Bible is reliable? Or how can a good God allow suffering or whatever? The book Reason for God is fantastic. It deals with all of those objections. And then also, if you just want a good practical help on how to share the gospel, the Unbelievable Gospel by Jonathan Dodson. Dodson is also a fantastic resource. And if you're here and you want kind of a hands-on experience of how to share the gospel, we're also going to provide for you a gospel conversation workshop on February 27th. Uh, that will be right here in our facility. It's on a Wednesday night. Students will be joining us for that as well. Probably going to provide a meal for you. There'll be childcare, all that kind of stuff. So you can sign up. We'll get that link out to you. And you can come. We'll actually work hands-on of how to share the gospel. Hopefully what you just pick up on is this is a really big deal to us in 2019. It is a really big deal to us because it's a really big deal to Jesus. That's why over the last year, every pastor, and I would encourage you to do this, every pastor in our church, we have our phone set where at 10.02, Monday through Friday, we pray Luke 10.02. 
And Luke 10.02 is where Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers refuse to pray that God will send out laborers into the harvest. We are praying that God will raise up laborers and that we will go out in the harvest like never before in 2019. Because we believe Jesus really is back from the dead, and he is the good news every man, woman, and child in this city needs. So, are you guys ready for the challenge? Do you think we can live up to it? Okay. All right, so... Let me just say this before we, before we end. Um, when you go out, please remember this, two things. One, you are not going in your authority. You're going in the authority of Jesus. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in place in you. Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me. Go out, and then he says, and I will be there with you. So his authority is now our authority. Think of that passage in Ephesians where it says that Jesus is the head of the church, and we are his body, and he has put all things under his feet. Think about that. If Jesus is the head, and we are the body, and all things are under Jesus' feet, where are all things for us? Under our feet. Not to be trampled on. It just means that, that, that we can have confidence. We can have joy. Not because of anything that we're amazing, because Jesus is amazing. He has control over all things, so we're going out in his authority. Remember that. And then secondly, what I would say is when you go out and share the gospel, this is not to get like a notch in your belt. It's not to earn God's love. You go out because you already are love. The reality is God never calls you to do anything that he has not already done for you. And every single week we remember that by partaking of communion, where communion reminds us that before Jesus ever sent us out, he was sent for us. He left his comfort zone and he came to where we are. He did everything for us we could never accomplish for ourselves. And if you are here today and you've already trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we invite you to take communion. Come around this table. We have two stations in the front, uh, two in the back. That is a gluten-free option for you in the back. And so if you, if you like really bad bread, that's your option back there. Okay? But we have uh, two here, gluten-free in the back, and another normal back there in this corner. And we would invite you again, if you're a Christian, you've trusted in Jesus, come and partake of communion. But if you are here today and you have not received Christ, please hear me again. Please hear me. It's the most important decision you could ever make. Respond to the invitation to the party of a lifetime. You are not guaranteed another day. You are not guaranteed another day. So I pray that you will receive that invitation. And if you want to know of how to do that, what the next steps look like with Jesus, I'll be up here in the front. Luke will be up here in the front as well. We'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. All that being said, I'm going to invite the band to come forward. And I'm going to pray. And actually, Luke, will you go ahead and come up? I just remember, I'm actually, I'm not going to be up here in the front because I need to get to my flight. Will you go ahead? So Luke will be up here. He would love to talk with you. And connect with you if you have next steps or have questions about next steps. Let's go ahead and stand, guys. Let me pray for us. Should you take a moment, just be silent for just about 10 seconds. Just ask the Spirit to search your heart. Just so you know, salvation for me was when I was 20 years old and I literally in my own bedroom just said, God, I don't, I don't know everything about you, but I want to know you as you really are, not who I think you are, and I want you to save me. It can be that simple. So maybe for some of you that needs to happen today, yeah, I would encourage you if you make that decision, come talk to Luke or someone you came with. Father, thank you so much for every person who is here today. Thank you that you are a God of joy and life that you are preparing for us the party of a lifetime. 
I pray that we will truly believe that in you, Jesus, is the life that we are longing for, that you are the good news that every single person needs, including ourselves. And I pray that as a church in 2019, that more than ever, that we'll be committed to sharing this good news out of love, out of the love that you have for us and the love we have for those who are around us. And I pray that as we plant these seeds, that Holy Spirit, you will go before us and that you will allow these seeds to take root and produce fruit so other people in our city can taste and see just how good that you really are. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.